Hey everyone, welcome to Indie Film Grit, a podcast about indie films and indie filmmakers. I am your host, Timothy Patrick, but you, you can call me Tim. In this episode, I'm joined by Rob Smatt. He's an indie filmmaker and USC Film School grad who recently completed his first feature film, The Last Whistle. It's about a high school football coach who pushes his team to win even after an all-star player dies during practice of cardiac arrest. And it's set to release in select theaters and on demand June 28th. Let's get into it. And here we are with Rob Smatt. Rob, thanks for being on the podcast, man. I am thrilled to be here. I'm I'm really excited. You you made a movie called The Last Whistle. It's a football movie, um, and it looks really good. Um, and we're gonna right. get into that. Yeah, I've only seen the trailer, as I mentioned to you before we started. But um, yeah, before we get into that, can you give us a little background about yourself? Tell us how you got into filmmaking. Yeah, of course. Uh, you know, coming up in uh, middle school, high school. You know, I sort of had uh, two loves. One was uh, science and particle physics and all these complicated things. And the other was sort of backyard movie making. And, uh, you know, I always thought that I would be going into the more uh, science, uh, science-y part of it. Um, but as I kind of started to get closer to graduation, started to learn about, you know, film schools and that sort of thing, I kind of realized that I had been, you know, this, this film geek for, you know, 10 years at that point without even realizing it. Hmm. Um, and so at that point I kind of started to think about film school. I said, all right, if I, if I get into one, I'll have a decision to make, but you know, I'm going up against some pretty tough competition and, uh, lo and behold, uh, I got into USC, uh, went into their, uh, what was called critical studies at the time, now cinema studies, and um, really just started to uh, I dove headfirst into the industry from there. I you know, grew up in Texas, and as I'll talk about, I played you know, football in Texas. And uh, going from Texas to California was, was quite the jump, but it just you know, had such an immersive uh, time in, in L.A. and learned so much so quickly, and uh, that was the genesis of The Last Whistle. Wow. Yeah, that's exciting. I mean, not only did you get into film school, but you got into USC. Right. And, and it was kind of, you know, you show up there and, and they kind of start off by saying, you know, this is the selection rate here is more, it's it, the selection rate here is lower than Harvard. You know, you, it's, it's got such, such a, uh, a uh, big, you know, uh, gatekeeper feeling to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's kind of what you hear, you know, anyone who, who, uh, who is not as familiar with USC goes, Oh wow. USC film school. And I think I think what I was the most surprised by was even at, you know, the Harvard of film schools, whatever, whatever that may mean, um, there were still people, there were still students that I didn't feel were as motivated as they should have been. There were still students that I didn't feel like, you know, were really focused on what was going to happen after film school. And so it was definitely a great place with some great tools, but, uh, you know, and, and some great people who, who joined me on this project. Um, but you know, just like anyone who's gone anywhere else and done anything else knows it's, it's all about you. It's not about the degree. Mm-hmm. And, and you're pretty fresh out of film school, right? How long ago did you graduate? 
Yeah, uh, we we started work on this project uh, only about eight months after six months after I had left film school, and now I'm about, I'm about two years out. Wow, and you were keeping busy though. Um, you made a ton of shorts, uh, maybe even a feature while you're in school. Right. So uh, it actually. Uh, funnily enough, at the end of high school, I went and shot uh, a feature length uh, movie. You know, you can't, it was a sort of a Christopher Guest, you know, run and gun. I was doing it just with a little handy cam. Mm -hmm. um, but I wanted to do something that was over an hour long. I wanted to see what that felt like and, and just, you know, just totally dive headfirst into it. And so that was a little movie called Group Project. It's a, a mockumentary about a bunch of high schoolers that have to do a group project. You know, very, very basic um, starting out. And then, yeah, like you said, a lot of shorts, keeping busy, you know, anything from commercials to, uh, I really like to shoot sizzle reels. I like to shoot, you know, concepts for longer, uh, projects. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. So just definitely keeping busy like that, trying out, getting my feet wet in VR at the same time wow. and just continuing to make the contacts and, and do, and sort of do that extracurricular, uh, education that led me to the last whistle. This could be helpful for some of uh, our listeners who are thinking about film school. What what part of your library did you share to help get in? Did that feature play a role? Did uh, your sizzle reels? What did you send them? So that's that's a really good question, and I, I think I that's a question that I even have gone back and thought about uh, quite a bit. Um, and it kind of goes back to my uh, thesis when it comes to filmmaking and, and writing and just the most basic things that we do as independent uh, creators. And that's uh, sometimes and maybe always being different is just as good as being good. Hmm. Um, and I, I first heard that from the creator of Narcos, uh, Chris Brancato. He, he said that at a, at a panel and I just wrote it down immediately. I was like, oh my gosh, this is the most, this is the most amazing thing in the age of the internet and the age of, you know, fragmentation, mm -hmm. uh, being different is, can be as good as being good. Um, and so, uh, you know, going back to my film school application, that was a big challenge for me. It was okay. I don't really have a crazy, uh, you know, I can't go make, uh, a festival winning drama here in high school. I don't, you know, I, I'm not exposed to art film here, you know, back in Texas. I really, there, th that scene wasn't active at that time. Hmm. Um, I couldn't go to the film festival in town because it was the same weekend as the football championships that we always, you know, my team was really good and we mm -hmm. were always in the championship. So it was funny that my first time at that festival was, was coming back with a film, you know, about football. Um, but but going into the film school application, you know, my I just said, you know, let, let's make a short film that nobody else is is going to make. And so I think my 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 application film uh, for the portfolio was called Boom. And it was about a, a boom mic that is a, a character in the short. Hmm. And, uh, you know, you start off with this conversation, you see the boom start to dip in. It's like, oh, this this amateur, they don't even know how to keep the microphone out of the shot. But in the end, you find that, you know, she the one of the characters looks at the microphone and goes, oh, hey, how you doing? You know, and um, just trying just trying to put a, a fun twist and, and submit a comedy rather than than a, a hard hitting, you know, student drama. Yeah, uh, which is which is I'm sure a lot of what they get. And, and it's about filmmaking, it. right? I mean, right. it's a little, it's meta in a, in a lot Very of ways. Um, and then the other half of it was I, I got into the, the major that I got into uh, was because I think of an essay that, that I wrote for the application. 
And I was talking about how 3D films had peaked with Avatar and they were sort of on the downturn, in my uh, oh. opinion, and kind of, you know, I, I, I don't I'm sure they got plenty of essays about why Pulp Fiction's the greatest movie of all time. And, you know, why Citizen Kane should have beat, you know, how green is my valley and, and mm-hmm. all these things. But I, I think, uh, you know, an S a critical essay about a very technical and business minded uh angle was probably something they hadn't read plenty before. So I'm sure that that made the application stand out enough that they decided to give me a shot, even though I didn't get accepted to the production major. Mm -hmm. How, how important are those connections that you made at film school? You mentioned you worked with some of uh, your colleagues on the last whistle. Absolutely. I mean, they, those connections were essential. And, you know, it doesn't work, always work out that way for everybody. You know, you don't necessarily have to go to film school to make connections and the film and the connections you make in film school won't necessarily be the ones that make your career. But for me, those two things lined up everyone from our director of photography, Brian Tang, to our producers, Mike uh, Downing and uh, Max Gonzalez, and to our actors, Chelly, uh, to our assistant editor, Paulina, to our composer, Logan, to, I mean, the, our second assistant director, Ryan. I mean, there's the, the list goes on and on. I'm sure I, I'm so sorry to the two or three to five that I left out there. Um, but we, we had a massive Trojan presence on, on, the, on the film. And, and these were all folks that, that I just got to know during school. They graduated either the same year I did or, or a year before or a year after me. And, um, you know, just over your, over time, you, you can, you see who's motivated, you see who you work well with. And after three or four years, I, I had sort of picked this and they kind of picked me in a way too. you know, this, this very select, uh, group that I knew, you know, with two weeks in the Texas heat would be able to pull off something that was worthwhile. Right. Yeah, so you you harken back to the days of high school and you made a football movie. Can you can you give us a sort of a synopsis of the film? Yeah, absolutely. So so the film is all about uh, a player collapsing during practice um, and collapsing during you know a more intense part of practice where the coach is kind of going hard on the on the players, and it's kind of about what happens next. And it's about the coach. It's about his struggle with what's happened. It's about him trying to balance winning and losing. And then it's about the player's mother and how she starts to blame the coach for what's happened and takes him to court over it. Wow. I mean, a football movie is ambitious anytime, but as your, as your first feature out of film school, that must've been a little daunting. Were there, were there any challenges you faced um, because you were filming football? Absolutely. Uh, you know, a big thing to me is, is safety. Safety for me is number one. Um, and when it comes to, uh, you know, a film shoot, you not only have to have, you know, safety in word, you have to have it on paper. You have to have insurance. You have to have um, workers comp. You have to have things like this that can get prohibitively expensive for, you know, a little, little budget like we had. Mm-hmm. Um and so, but, but you have to have those things. If you try to skirt that, um, it, it can be, it can be catastrophic. It can be devastating because you're not, you know, and this is a great tip for anyone that's this to thinking about their first feature, even if it's just, you know, an, a, a one location drama, but someone has to throw a punch halfway through it, or someone has to drop a glass, you know, um, if, if these things aren't explicitly mentioned in, you know, documents and insurance documents and things like that ahead of time, 
then, you know, you might be able to get around it with the insurance company or something. But if you get, you know, your, your big actor who you work so hard to get on this project to convince that you're worth their time and, and effort, if they find out that, that you don't have the coverage for this or you don't have a stunt coordinator for this, they could say, I'm sorry, I'm not, you know, I'm not showing up to set. I, I'm not, I don't feel comfortable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like that's you you are putting on this this air of professionalism, not just for not just to get the documents signed, not just to get the camera rented, but so that the people feel comfortable. So that was that was a big thing for us was let's make sure that um, we are being as safe as possible, that we are keeping the stunts to a minimum, that we're getting as much football as possible. Um, and and then, of course, the other half is, you know, you need a stadium, you need players, you need right. equipment. And, and so a big part of that for me was let's, let's go back to the hometown. Let's talk to the, talk to my old coach, talk to my old, uh, principals, talk, you know, teachers, players, uh, my brothers were still at the, at the high school at the time and recruited their friends. Let's see if this is even possible. And once I know that, then we go into the fundraising, then we go into the, the pitching. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was a big piece was I had to make sure that we had a runway there before I was going to take off and, and head in that direction. Right. Yeah. And how much of that stuff did you uh, get on the cheap? I mean, did you get the uniforms for free or? Um... Yeah. So, you know, a lot of the uniforms and equipment, yes, were, were from the school for free. They let us use those, you know, when it came to the stadium, as long as we scheduled it at a time when they weren't hosting something that, you know, like, like a, like a, like a coach's seminar or something like that, you know, they've got groups that'll come in and pay a lot of money to use their field for, for the day. So I had to make sure that we weren't going to take, take away one of those days. Mm-hmm. As long as we scheduled it correctly, then they said, okay, just make sure you're paying the security guard to stay extra hours, you know, make sure you're doing uh, this make sure you're paying the people, the facilities people that we need to keep there for, for you being there. Um, it was some scheduling wizardry. We scheduled it on the, you know, around just after Memorial day. Um, and to make sure that we weren't going to be conflicting with students or with student sports, you know, we really had this very specific, you know, one week window where the school was almost sort of shut down, but it wasn't the Christmas break. It wasn't, you know, a time when it, when everything was dead, there would still be minimal, uh, essential personnel there, mm-hmm. uh, to where we could really use this full school campus as almost a little, uh, Hollywood backlot. And as long as we got approval for for the rooms we were using, the locations we were using, um, they were very kind to us, and they they treated me very well as a, as an alum, and you know said just just don't break anything. And we said, all right, all right. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yes, a lot of it did come on the cheap, and a lot of it we still budgeted for, and and did still have to spend money on. And so it wasn't you know it's it's good not to go into something like this and expect everything to be for free because that's just never going to be the case, no matter right. who you're talking to. And if it is, you're you're gonna there's going to be something that's that's left to. To, 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 to want to need. Um, mm-hmm. it's always good to have, whether it's at $500, $5,000, just there, just in case they say, Oh, you know what, if you're going to be doing this, we need this person there. And you can say, okay, we can, we can handle that. We can afford that. We can meet you in the middle. Yeah. Um, and so I imagine point. at some point you had to have a crowd to fill the stands. That's correct. Even that must've been a, a bit of a, a headache. Well, so one one thing that we did in scheduling the way that we shot the film was, you know, the average age of our crew members on this project was, I think, 21 or 22. We were we were a very young crew. 
Um, and that was that was alarming to to a lot of the people in pre-production. We went to some casting directors, we went to some other folks, and they they told us, you know, you're you're too young, your crew is too young, you don't have anyone with a resume, you know, yada yada yada. And um, and and I was I was expecting that. I was used to it at that point. I tried to set up a couple other projects and gotten that same response. And and I was used to it. I said that's fine. I I, I don't want to work with someone who is is you know going off of age as a as a prerequisite. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was great because it really allowed us to find the people who would work with us, who would you know uh, grant us insurance, who would uh, you know provide equipment and these things to us, who were there for it, who didn't doubt us, who you know looked at our paperwork. We knew that we had everything that any other any other person would need to have, and and would would play ball with us quite literally. And so in the same way, we set up the shoot as sort of a, almost like a tutorial. I knew that a lot of our production assistants were coming from TCU, that they may not have been on a, on a major set before. They'd definitely done small things before, but I wanted to make sure that we got everyone acquainted and that we weren't going to overextend ourselves. So for the whole first week of the shoot, we were shooting conversations. We were shooting two-person scenes, maybe a three-person scene. Hmm. We were keeping crowds to a minimum. We were keeping extras to a minimum. We were keeping company moves to a minimum um, and just trying to remove any variables that would lead us to lose an hour or to lose two hours. You know, We're trying to shoot these very quick 10-hour days. Um, I didn't want to go to 12 or 14 because then our, you know, production assistants who are just getting paid for mileage are going to drop off and say, this isn't, I'm not doing this if I'm going to be kept up until crazy hours of the night, you Mm -hmm. know, after showing up early in the morning. So we're shooting on very quick schedules and, uh, we started off with the easiest stuff. Literally our first day we had one actor, we had the, the fabulous Brad Leland who plays coach Vic and we did all of his inserts, all of his things in his house all of the things that were just very, very easy. And it worked out great because everyone got to meet each other. We got to educate people on things they didn't know. Um, we did have a, our, a more seasoned uh, assistant director who was having to corral people and also sort of teach them on the job. And and she came up to me on the first day and she said, these people, you know, they don't know what they're doing. And I was like, hmm. I know that. And that's why we're starting off super easy. And and it worked out because they were smart. They you know we, we they 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 could catch up to what we were doing. Mm-hmm. And so back to your question about the extras was we saved all of the football action and the large crowd scenes until the end of the shoot until days eleven, twelve, and thirteen. Um, that way the crew knew each other at that point. We had a good working relationship at that point, and we would be able to sort of send people to different parts of the field to manage say a hundred extras, a hundred, you know, 50 football players. Hmm. And so the, the big deal with the extras was it was a grassroots campaign. You know, we really started asking people two weeks ahead of time, please set this, set this one night aside in your, in your schedules, please come to the stadium just for a couple hours and help us. And, you know, we, we definitely didn't fill the stadium, but we shot it in a way to where it looks like we did. We used a lot of sound design, which is hugely important. And the people that did come out were fantastic. And they really, they filled it up more than I was hoping for. And we fed them all dinner afterward and, and, you know, uh, sent them all the pictures, you know, they got to take pictures with the actors and everything. And so it was, that's, there was a big challenge there, but that was definitely how we did it. Wow. Yeah. I like that. You ease them into it and then they're confident by the, by the big shots. Um, Correct. Now, now speaking of those shots where everything's going on, the crowd, the football, 
Um, did you decide to maybe bring in more cameras on those days to capture more all we at did. once? So, so the cameras are an interesting thing and something that I'm really glad you asked about because I think this is, this is possibly the thing that indie filmmakers uh, are the, get educated incorrectly on. And that's that you have to shoot on Red or Alexa. Mm-hmm. And I think while Red and Alexa are fantastic and they really do get a beautiful picture, they give you lots of post-production options. Um, it was something that I think uh, Alex Ferrari said on one of his podcasts a long, long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he talked about why would you shoot on Red if you're going to edit on a MacBook? You know, you, you're going to break your computer. <laughs> and. And I thought that was just, I was listening to that and I was like, oh my gosh, he's right. Like, uh, you know, I've got this 2012 MacBook Pro, like I'll, I'll be working with proxies, of course, but you know, I'm uh, still, if, if, if I put a single shot of, of red footage into this, into Premiere on my computer, it's, it's gonna, it's gonna melt it down. And right. the same goes for editor for Carter and, and so on and so forth. You know, none of us have systems that can handle a Carter was another, uh, USC friend of mine. Just want to throw, throw uh, editor. Awesome guy. Um, but it was just like, okay, maybe you know, our audience for this film is not going to be a Sundance audience. They're not going to be an audience that knows cameras. And so we can get away with not shooting on Red or Alexa because it's going to save, save us time on the shoot day. It's going to save us time for batteries and memory cards and all that sort mm-hmm. of thing. And in the end, our picture quality is still going to get where we wanted it to be in terms of the story. So we shot most of the film on Canon. We shot on the C300 Mark II. Um, our DP Brian did a fantastic job, uh, really capturing the, the look that we were going for. We wanted sort of, I almost wanted like a Western. I wanted this to sort of be, you know, um, high noon in the sense that, you know, he's, he's alone. This, this coach is isolated. He's, you know, watching his, his, everything he's built fall down around him. And he's got to, you know, and instead of, you know, unlike Gary Cooper, he kind of does the wrong things before he does the right things, uh, mm-hmm. without giving anything away. Um, oh, but anyway, cool. that was what we, what we went for with the cameras. Uh, and so, yes, on those last two or three days, we said we need something that can capture, um, a higher frame rate. We want some slow motion. And so on the very last shoot day, we, we brought in Nick Utter, who's a local DP and uh, director, and he did a bunch of second unit work and B camera work. And, um, we, we did get some, some red footage from him. And then that red footage ended up in the first five minutes of the film. So even if, you know, we have someone that knows film that's watching the movie, they think, oh, they shot on red and mm-hmm. then they forget about it whenever the red shots eventually, uh, give way to C 300 shots. Very cool. Very smart. I'm sure you, you put a little in the trailer too, just to spice it up. Oh, sure, sure. And, and that was kind of the cool thing about having the red there for the football days is it's the, the football stuff just looks, uh, looks fantastic. Mm-hmm. Well, that's awesome, man. And you've been, uh, you've been hitting the film festival circuit pretty hard. Um, can you talk about yeah. that? How, how's that been going? Yeah, yeah. So, so I think that there's been a very interesting learning curve with the festival circuit, uh, on this project. Uh, and I say that from a place where at the beginning of this project, I, I thought I knew everything about film festivals and I was ready to write them off and to say who needs them, you know, uh, unless you're doing something that's, that's over, you know, a certain budget range, which, which we were nowhere close to. Um, because I had watched the Thunder Road team uh, under Jim Cummings and uh, and the Vanishing Angle team, um, I'd really been inspired with what they had been doing in the indie film world. 
mm-hmm. um, you know, this, this, uh, amazing independent film, Thunder Road, uh, which everybody should see. Um, and everyone should see the last whistle too. Don't, don't get me wrong. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, two of the greats, that, right. that's, you know, as I should, as I should say. Um, but the, the Thunder Road team made this great indie movie. It was based on a Sundance short, a Sundance winning short. They took it to Sundance. It won a jury award. They took it to South by it won another jury award. Um, it, it played at acid can. Um, and, and it was just this, this very big indie success. And after all of these things, they didn't find a distribution deal that they were satisfied with. And my whole goal with, with the last whistle was while film festivals are great, I want to make a movie that will have distribution success. I want to make a movie where investors in the movie can look at their investment and say, Oh, we, we made a return. You know, we, Mm -hmm. we actually, you know, whether it's a dollar or it's a thousand dollars or it's, you know, $10,000, we made, we made money on investing in an independent film. Um, I thought that was a lot more rare than winning uh, a film festival. So I was not for, we didn't submit to Sundance. We didn't submit to South by, uh, because it, we, we weren't anywhere close to their submission deadlines and I wasn't going to wait four or five months to do that. I wanted to get the movie distributed. Hmm. Um, and so that, that thought process is good and it's bad. Um, I, I think that in, in hindsight, the festivals help a lot with the distributors to get you noticed in the first place. Um, the distributors put almost a, uh, an unfair amount of weight on festival plays where you premiere. Um, whereas we were kind of going more for where, which festivals will give us the best grassroots, uh, approach. So mm-hmm. we premiered at the Lone Star Film Festival in Fort Worth, Texas, which, uh, to its credit is not a small festival, but when it comes to a distributor, they'll, they, they see it equivalent to a citywide festival rather than a national festival. You know, at, at mm-hmm. best it's, it's a statewide festival. Um, and, well, and I imagine, I imagine the, uh, content of your film, uh, might be better received in sort of middle America or, or smaller towns like Fort Worth where, um, football is in the culture. It's in the blood rather than New York or, or LA. Absolutely. And, and we went into it knowing that we went into it knowing that, ah, you know, I, I don't see a football movie of any budget of any, you know, uh, critical value playing at Sundance. It's just, it's just not Sundance, you know, Mm -hmm. it's not Sundance. It's not Toronto. It's not, it may be South by with the Texas connection, Mm -hmm. but, but again, we weren't anywhere near their, you know, submission deadline. And and I didn't want to make us wait a whole year just to get a 50, 50 chance at, at, at a South by premiere. Right. Um, so, so that was sort of the idea with the festivals was, you know, I, I think that part of my thesis was true. Part of it was, uh, you know, misguided in the sense that it didn't bring us quite, you know, we couldn't get quite the distribution attention that I wanted without playing uh, a festival that the distributors recognized. Um, but I would say for anyone that's self-distributing their film, don't hold out for Sundance. Don't hold out for, for South by, you know, the, the film festivals have gotten so big and so numerous and the festivals that really matter have gotten so big with many major, uh, film studios that there's not a lot of, uh, opportunity in film festivals. Like there was a while back, the best opportunity in film festivals is to generate a grassroots uh, campaign, which is, which is what we succeeded in doing. Mm -hmm. Um, don't waste your time if you have something that's commercially viable. 
and like us needed to release during football season. Um, you know, don't get, don't lose a football season because you're waiting on a film festival to give you a yes or a no. Right. Interesting. Okay. So, um, you, you were talking about distribution. What, what is your plan for that? Did you, sure. did somebody pick you out? We absolutely, we, so I, I, this is another thing that I heard on, oh man, it must, it was either your podcast or it might've been, um, one of the other ones, but they, I heard it mentioned from a guest. They said something like, um, why, why are you waiting until you finish your film to meet a distributor? Hmm. And, and that kind of floored me. I was like, that's a really good question. You know, but before the film starts, you're spending so much time on the script. You're spending so much time on the locations and the film itself. Why does no one spend any, especially at our, at our, at the lower budget level? Um, why mm-hmm. does no one spend any time with the distribution plan? And so the whole idea with this film was let's make the most distributable film possible. Uh, let's get football. Let's get less miles. Let's get Friday night lights. Let's get uh, a health condition that people can, can connect to. Um, let's do all of these things and really, really focus on, on audience here. And so that was sort of the message that I took to some distributors and, and, uh, Josh Spector, who was at Gravitas at the time and went on to vertical entertainment was, uh, one of the, the acquisitions folks who was nice enough to pick up the phone and talk with me for 20 minutes and 15 minutes and just say, you know, okay, make sure your key art is really good. Make sure, um, you know, your trailer is really good. Make sure you get a lot of football action. Even if, even if, you know, you're only have a football scenes, make sure you've got a lot of football for the trailer. Um, and, and I maintained, you know, a lot of relationships like that. And, and in the end, the Josh emailed me, you know, in December and said, Hey, send me, send me what you got. I heard the, the film's done and, uh, and it all, all went from there. So, so we're going to be, for anyone who's listening, the last whistle will be in, uh, 10 markets. Uh, we'll do a day and date release. Uh, so it'll be in 10 theaters on June 28th. Um, and it'll also be on iTunes and Amazon and all of the video on demand platforms that same day. Nice. So if you're, if you're in, you know, LA, New York, Dallas, um, uh, Kansas city, Minneapolis, Chicago, one of those markets, the, uh, it'll be in a theater there and for everybody else, it'll be, it'll be on video on demand. That's fantastic. Congrats. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. So, but we're, we're, we're really trying to get those pre-orders on iTunes. That's, you know, I think that's, that's something that I also learned from, um, from, uh, the, the Thunder Road team at least is the more pre-orders you get, the higher on the iTunes, you know, uh, charts you go. So if anybody out there is listening, it can give us a pre-order that, that would be, that would be a huge help. We would really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. For sure. Now we, we didn't talk much about the cast. Could you, sure. could you talk about the process of casting the film? Oh, that was, that was crazy. Um, you know, it's, it's, this is another thing that I think that would be great to share with, with everybody listening. And it's just this idea that when it comes to a movie, um, when it comes to a movie you're making, um, especially if it's your first one and you don't have any prior work, um, it can be really hard to get it made. Um, especially if you don't have, you know, that first investor on board, you don't have X, Y, and Z, uh, you've only got the script. You know, everybody's always got the script. That's what you got to have. It's got to be very good, as strong as possible. Um, so at that point, you know, what do you do? Where do you go? 
And, and it's, it's exactly what you mentioned. It's, it's all about cast. It's all about, you know, who can you attach to the project? Who can you, uh, what actors can you bring into the project? And I think that that on paper is, you know, something everybody understands and everybody knows. Um, but I don't think that first time filmmakers, myself included, uh, understand the value of actors and the value of actors to a distributor, to a film festival, um, and to someone in marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, again, it's kind of that interesting disconnect where everyone in Hollywood's like, okay, let's, who's in it. You know, it's got nothing to do with how are your reviews? How, who is your audience? You know, wh- what's your marketing plan? It's, well, what actors do you have in it? Right. Uh, and while you should be working on those other things, other three things, more importantly than who the actors are, you're going to, you know, the, the actors, a huge help when you get to the gatekeepers that don't understand those other three aspects or don't care to, to, to take time with them. Um, and so the way that we cast this film was, was piece by piece, you know, we didn't have that prior work. And so I went and shot a sizzle reel for the movie, you know, shot some football stuff to some Friday night Lights soundtrack and, and used that as kind of our, our sizzle trailer. Um, and of course I had this script ready to go at, at that point. And what we did was we started with, uh, sort of the people that I knew, the people that I definitely wanted to cast in certain roles. And we started to build the cast from there. Uh, that was when our executive producers, Eric and Sainty Nelson came on. They had a lot of contacts with, with TV and film actors. So then they started to sort of attach their names to it. And the whole thing just kind of became this pyramid up to the top where it was like, okay, who, who will our, our leads be who will the stars be and um so we found so our first star that we found was was jim o'hare who we all know is jerry gergich from parks and rec mm-hmm. uh, jim jim's in the movie jim's fantastic uh i uh my friend chelly who i had mentioned as as one of our uh usc grads he he had met jim at a networking event years before and and gave me his email and sent him the script and said you know just honored if you just take a look at it no pressure you know turn us down it's it's all good and and he loved it and he wanted to be a part of it and so so we started with him and then then we were able to say okay we've got this you know we've got jim o'hare on the movie and then at that point we kind of got to take it to um we took it to brad leland at that point uh les miles is uh uh manager called me up while I was driving on the 10 freeway and, and said, Hey, we, you know, we, we heard about the movie. We'd love to get less uh, involved. And I was like, Oh my gosh, you know, I, my half my family lives in Louisiana. I've been watching LSU games since I was little and, Mm -hmm. you know, now KU of course, now he's at Kansas. And I was like, this is, this is nuts. This is super cool. So very much when it comes to casting and a hugely important part is packaging. Um, especially if you don't necessarily have the money for a casting director, which, and those of course can get very expensive, mm-hmm. um, and, and just as difficult to get for an indie film as an actor at a certain point, you know, they'll be like, well, what are your credits? You know? And, and, and that's the, that's the tough thing. And so I, I really do recommend building from the ground up and not pulling the trigger on shooting your movie until you've got that cast member involved. And then, you know, to to make a long story longer, I think that there are exceptions to this. I think that a genre like football, you don't necessarily have to have a Brad Pitt that's at the, at the head of the movie for a genre like horror, for a genre like action, you can get away with, um, not having a big star as long as your budget is still within reason. Mm -hmm. Um, because, because genre can sometimes sell just as well as an actor will. 
Um, but there's only a few genres like that. And that was what I liked about the football genre was let's pick a genre that gives us insurance in case we don't get Brad Pitt. And we got Brad Leland and, and, you know, in, in the end he's, he's been fantastic and, you know, he's been a great draw and, and a great name to have on the project and, you know, a wonderful performance. Check out his performance. It is, it is stunning. Very cool. Yeah. And you, you lend, um, football credibility as well, the way you cast it, um, with, you know, with people involved in, in what Friday night lights and the coach. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then of course, you know, less miles coming from actual college football. It was, you're right. It's, you know, we, we definitely tried to cast from the world of football, you know, because again, we're trying to serve our audience. We're trying to reach our audience and nothing reaches your audience better than, Hey, check out this new movie that former BCS championship coach, Les Miles is an actor in, mm-hmm. you know, like that's it's it, the headline writes itself at that point. And when you're not working with a big enough budget to, to market, to, you know, put thousands and tens of thousands into Facebook ads, um, you know, why not, why not get free advertising with some newsworthy elements like that? You know, why not, um, reach people through the last free piece, you know, the last free advertising Avenue, which, which is the media. Mm -hmm. Um, but you have to, of course, have something that's media worthy. You have to have something that will, will, will cause people to, to notice, will cause people to turn their heads and look at you. Mm -hmm. And it's great with a, with a movie genre like this. Um, it's, it's pretty obvious, uh, who your audience is and you can go after them, you know, and in this case, it's obviously sports fans. Absolutely. And, and I think that a, a big thing and something that I think that, um, especially, you know, to the folks out there who are still in film school or thinking about film school is the, the film schools like to teach the sort of that film festival mentality where it's, you know, make that, you know, make the next moonlight or make the next, um, you know, indie drama that's, that's just, you know, critically acclaimed, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I think that in doing that, they, they do leave the more commercial ideas in, in the rear view mirror. Mm. Um, you know, not that anyone can go out and make Avengers while they're in film school. Um, but there are lots of underserved communities, uh, in the world that, that aren't, just the communities that would go see a, uh, you know, a hard hitting indie drama. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that that community while underserved may not be as underserved as, um, you know, a community like cricket players, you know, or, or soccer players or, you know, uh, food, the, 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 the international football, you know, I mm-hmm. tell people, Oh, we made a football movie and they go, Oh yeah. Liverpool Arsenal. I'm like, no, 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 no. American football, <laughs> American football, you know, <laughs> Um, but it's, you know, if you start to think about just how many people are in the world and how many consumers are out there and what their interests are, you find that, you know, there are these, there's, there's wide open opportunity, um, to go make a movie to serve those massive, massive audiences. Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. And that, you know, you just, you just got to figure out who's, who's hungry. That's great. Um, now I, I know a lot of your energy is, Pushing this out, you got the big uh, June twenty eighth uh, select theater date. Mm-hmm. Um, have you thought about what's next? What what type of films you want to make in the future? Maybe something tapping into your um, what, what was it? Particle physics? <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Maybe a time travel physics. movie or 
Uh, that's, that's a good question. I, uh, you know, I think right when I started at USC, I started, I, I had all these particle physics ideas for movies and things like that. Um, I'm trying to think, and then interstellar interstellar came out and I was like, ah, darn it. <laughs> you know, there's, there's that black, there's the black hole movie I always wanted to make. Aww. Um, and then at the same time, uh, Walter Murch just edited, uh, the, the documentary about the, the Higgs boson particle team, mm. um, which I'm sure everyone in the world has watched multiple times at this point. I'm sure that that's been a, you know, um, a big hit, mm-hmm. uh, but anyway, with those two films coming out, I was like, ah, oh, this, you know, this niche audience is actually getting to quite a bit right now. So I, you know, it's, they're, co- they're coming up with better ideas than I had. So I should think about something else. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think the particle physics stuff, uh, just waiting for the right idea there. It's, it's hard to, it's hard to get it really sciencey cause it can turn, it can turn, uh, so schlocky so fast, oh, you know, yeah. it, there, there's a fine line between SCIFI and SYFY. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, not that there's anything wrong with the sci-fi channel, they're doing great stuff and, and I like where they're going. Um, but it's, you, you just have to be careful. So I, I think in terms of what I'm doing next, um, I, I want to see how the last whistle does. I, I, I'm, I'm fascinated to see what the distribution looks like, how the numbers turn out. Um, and I want to use it as a case study for whatever the next project is. You know, I want to sit down with investors and say, here's how much the movie made. Here's where we benefited the most, you know, mm-hmm. and then decide is the next, with the next one, do we go back to a traditional distributor? Do we do, um, do we do self-distribution like, like the Thunder Road team did? Um, and it's all going to come down to the numbers, but, uh, yeah, I've definitely got a sequel to the movie ready to go. I've oh, got, wow. uh, some projects that I'm kind of, uh, pitching around. We've got a, a couple of producers that were on last whistle that are ready for the next thing. Um, but I think it brings me to an important point, which is, and this isn't to say that no one cares about the movie, but no one's going to care about the movie as much as you as the filmmaker do, Mm -hmm. because, because you are the one that's carrying this its whole way. You know, your uh, crew members will be there for the month of the shoot, you know, editors will be there for the the months of post-production, you know, uh, if you have any screenwriters, they'll be there for the beginning, but you're the one that's watching the whole thing from the bird's eye view. Um, and so I, you know, what I'm telling people right now is, is I'm still, you know, I'm still making sure that this one's a success. Otherwise I'm not going to get another one. Right. Um, and so, but this, this, this whole journey has been all about what's that next film going to be. And I've got a lot of stuff coming down the pike and, and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to try the whole representation thing and we'll see how that goes. Um, and we'll see if, if just like the distribution is, is that still a necessary part of the industry? Probably so. And, and to what degree, and going to find that out as well. Well, awesome. Um, Rob, this was great. I, I really enjoyed talking with you. Could you just let everybody out there know um, where to find you on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram? Sure. Um, so I'll say first, the the movie's Facebook page is The Last Whistle. Just, you know, search that on Facebook, and you'll find the movie pretty easily. I think it's facebook.com slash The Last Whistle. Um I'm on all platforms, mostly Instagram, uh, Twitter, Facebook as Mad Smatter. That's M-A-D-S-M-A-T-T-E-R. Um, but again, just search Rob Smat. There's only, there's only one, one person with that name and it's me. Um, you'll, you'll find me anywhere you find, uh, Rob Smat because I'm not smart, <laughs> smart without the R. <laughs> nice. Yeah. You can take the R from Rob, slide it in there. 
right? So <laughs> but we're 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 super super trying to get as many as many pre-orders on our iTunes page as possible. So anybody out there listening, um, please please pre-order on iTunes. It's it's uh, it, it'll be huge. It'll it'll give us a huge amount of data and give us the ability to to punch our little indie movie to the to the top of the charts if possible. Yeah, I'm going to keep an eye on it, and I I wish you the best of luck. Um, and thanks for coming on the podcast. Uh, thanks for having me, Tim. Appreciate it. Well, that's that. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Indie Film Grit podcast. Feel free to go to our website and check out the show notes, IndieFilmGrit.com. Follow us on Twitter, at IndieFilmGrit. And if you like this episode, give us a rating on iTunes. Well, you should really wrap this up, but before I go, let me ask you something. Do you have the courage, the passion, and the perseverance to make indie films? Do you have enough indie film grit? Thank you.